The Old Testament reading is from 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 20. And this is where David thanks the Lord that they were able to gather the materials for the building of the temple. And in this passage, he speaks of the willingness of those to, to, to serve the Lord and to bring these offerings, which will, the willingness to please the Lord will come up again in the New Testament text and in the sermon this morning. First Chronicles 29, beginning at verse 10, going through verse 20. This is the word of God. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you're exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come before you, come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me and the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, Keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, to do all these things and to build the temple for which I made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. The New Testament reading is in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 6. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 6. Again, you are listening to the holy word of God. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. 
nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. And thus we end the reading of God's holy word. Let us bow together for prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have spoken. We thank you that your spirit has given the word infallibly to your prophets and apostles and even straight from the mouth of your Son incarnate, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the written word. We pray that the same spirit who gave it will give us the understanding of it this morning to both me, the preacher, and to the congregation. Give us these words of life that we might know your wisdom, that we might first of all trust in your Son for our salvation and repent of our sins, and that we might follow in the steps of our Savior as the Spirit empowers us and as he makes this work, this word, effectively work out in our lives day by day, in our relationships with our family and friends and enemies, in our thoughts, in our words, the content of our words and the way we say our words, and in our behavior. Help us, Lord, we pray, for we are but weak sinners, and you are the Almighty One. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul was writing to the Thessalonians. And apparently, he was being attacked by some enemies. And so he defends his ministry. And he talks about his preaching in this section of Scripture. The preaching that pleases God. And the main emphasis in my sermon this morning is that the preaching, like the lives of every one of us, and not only the preaching of the minister, but his life as well, should be to please God and not men. To please God and not other human beings. We can be selfish in the way we live, the preacher can be selfish in the way he preaches. Of course, your minister is not. We all know him. But this is the way the preaching should be, and this is the way we should live in this world. And what is preaching? What is preaching the gospel? The gospel is the message about mankind and God. It's the message of how our representative, Adam, the representative of the whole human race in the Garden of Eden sinned and rebelled against God. And as our representative, just like our representatives in Raleigh, 
and our representatives in Washington, when they act, we feel the effect of it. And Adam sinned and rebelled against God, and we fell with him into sin. And the gospel tells us that we are born sinners and that we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve condemnation. We deserve to be sent to hell forever and ever. But that gospel goes on to explain that God has a remedy for this. He planned for this. He decreed that his only begotten son would come into this world, would live a perfect life in the place of his people, would die upon the cross and take the wrath of God that is due to his people and save them. Arise from the dead, ascend to heaven, and one day come back to receive us to himself. That is the gospel. We are sinners, yet we can be saved by the work of Jesus Christ and by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That is what Paul was preaching. Now he goes into more detail about his preaching here uh, in this passage of Scripture. He gets more specific, and he gives us pretty detailed descriptions of the preaching that he was doing. He was preaching, most of all, to please God and not men. Apparently, he had been accused of being a selfish person who was in the ministry for his, for his own gain. And yet he responded to this and wrote to the Thessalonians. He reminded them of how he worked among them and what he was doing as a minister of the gospel. And in doing this, he tells us how the ministry should be done today. The preaching of the gospel should be to please God and not men. So, preaching to please God this morning. I have three points, and each one of the three points has more than one description of this preaching. First of all, the preaching that pleases God is not in vain, but continues even in persecution. The preaching that pleases God is not in vain, but continues even in persecution. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. The th he calls upon the Thessalonians to remember what he did among them. They had seen that he wasn't there now, of course, or he wouldn't have sent this letter. But when he was among them, he had preached in a certain way, and he says, you know that our coming to you was not in vain. You know that our preaching was not in vain. When he came to Thessalonica, he preached for three Sabbath days in the synagogue, only three weeks, as Acts 17 records. And as a result, there were converts. As a result, there were people who were changed, who believed in Jesus Christ, who repented of their sins. As a result, there was a church planted there. And they know, and Paul knows, that his preaching was not in vain. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, he wrote, chapter 1, verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit 
and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you, for your sake. And then in verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8, he writes, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. And so God gave them faith through the preaching of Paul. People were changed. And the evidence of their faith was such that others in the region and regions beyond knew of this newly planted church. The preaching that pleases God is not in vain. And why is that? Because of him. Because he makes it to be not in vain. And it is effective to save people. It is effective to condemn people. It works both ways. This preaching was not in vain. But it continued in persecution. Look at verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So he talks about persecution in two different places. In Acts 16, his visit to Philippi is recorded. And, and that one is quite famous. Uh, you remember that Paul and Silas were imprisoned there. And before they were imprisoned, they were beaten with rods because Paul had cast out this evil spirit out of a, a woman who was gaining uh, money for her master. And he got angry about that and called the authorities on Paul and Silas. But eventually they were released after the Philippian the uh, Philippian jailer was saved as Paul and Silas uh, spoke to him. So he was persecuted in Philippi. Then he went to Thessalonica, and some of the Jews there rebelled, Acts 17 tells us, were angry about what was going on there, and they got the authorities involved again. But Paul and Silas, or Silvanus, another name for him, had to leave the city, but there remained a church there. In persecution, Paul preached the gospel. The preaching that pleases God continues in persecution. And there has always been persecution for the people of God. And there always will be. And so, in the church today, we say... There are not 16 genders. In the church today, we say, male and female created he them. And our culture, that is a small part of, a loud and influential, but small part of our culture, says no. There are at least 16 genders. And what do we do? Do we say, well, you know, we don't want to cause problems now. So we just won't talk about it. You see, some people think, you're the problem. You're the problem in America. With these old-fashioned ideas 
Yes, they are old-fashioned. Truth is eternal, right? Will we stick to our guns when we're hated? The preaching that pleases God will go forward even in persecution. Now, that's easy for me to say, you know, there's not a law enforcement officer waiting at the door for me when I finish the sermon today. I realize that. But will we stand up, no matter what our friends say, our relatives, no matter how much of the culture begins to take on these new false ideas? First of all, preaching that pleases God is not in vain, but endures persecution. Secondly, the preaching that pleases God is three things, not from error, from improper impure motives, or trickery. Verse 3, for our exhortation did not come to you from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. So, not from error, not from impurity, not from trickery. At this time, there were, well, first of all, There was no internet, as you know. There was no radio and television. And so people had different forms of entertainment. And and let's face it, when a preacher came to town, that could be considered a form of entertainment. People gathered to hear this guy. I mean, it's better than sitting at home, right? And so there were wandering false preachers, entertainers, who went from town to town. And so apparently Paul was being accused of something like that. And he defends himself here. Not for his sake. You see, Paul was hesitant to defend himself. Read 2 Corinthians. He was hesitant. He did this for their sakes and for the glory of God. He was forced to defend himself. This preaching that pleases God, then, is not from error. It's not from error. Like these wandering preachers who will say anything to make a dime. No, this is not from error. This is God's truth. And there can be error in doctrine. There can be error in practice. And let's face it, this is not an age. Well, there's never an age that openly embraces the truth of the word of God. There, are, there is a counterfeit for every true doctrine that exists. And so people are always wanting to make something out of Jesus that he's not. And the doctrine of Christ is not easy to understand. I, I realize that. You say this, this, uh, this person has two natures. He, he is God and he is man. He is divine and he is human. And well, Wow, we don't know anybody else like that because there is no one else like that. And so all these fallacious teachings 
are made up about Christ. Well, he was man, but he was not God. Well, he was God, but he was not man. Or he was part this and part that. No, he was fully God and fully man. Or the doctrine of Scripture. You know, script, oh, Scripture's great. You know, it tells you a lot of good things. But now, you know, when it comes to science, you know, yeah, I mean, we've got to be real, right? Science, for some people, trumps Scripture. No. Scripture is never wrong. Whatever it says is always right. No error. The preaching that pleases God contains no error. No error in practice. And so, you, you, you don't want to listen to these traveling preachers who are immoral, who are dishonest, who are conniving, who are stealing. This preaching is not from error. And then, this preaching also is not from impure motives. In verse 3, uncleanness, impurity, impure motives. The motive, of course, in the preaching, just like any job, anything we do, should be to glorify God. But it can be distorted. It can be selfish. It can be to get gain for the one who preaches. And so Paul mentions this here. Uh, some people, you know, sometimes we joke about this and someone will say to a preacher, uh, jokingly, I think, no, no, it's joking. Well, how is it to have a job when you only work one hour a week? Well, you know, for Orthodox Presbyterians, it's double that. It's two hours a week, morning and evening. Okay, from the motive of being lazy, after all, you know, after all, if, if, you're, if you have the gift of gab, you know, you really don't have to work that hard. Just think about it a little bit on Sunday morning when you get up, and there you go. The motive to have an easy job. I don't actually know anyone who does this, but it could be. Or to have authority and be in charge. After all, you know, hey, you don't do anything without the minister, do you? You just sit there and wait until he shows up. He says, stand up, you stand up. He says, sit down, you sit down. He says, let's sing this, you sing it, right? Authority is a powerful thing. Can be a motive. Being in charge. This preaching that pleases God is not from impure motives. And then this preaching that pleases God is not in trickery or guile or deceit. In verse 3. Now, Deceit can be used to accomplish a goal that's actually 
good. The preacher, or any Christian, can make it sound easy to follow Christ and leave out some of the hard parts. The goal is to get someone to make an outward profession of faith. That's a good goal, but it has to be done by the Spirit. The Spirit has to convict in the heart. And so it's kind of like he doesn't need our help, but by grace he uses us in that. And so, you know, deceit can be used toward a good end, and deceit can be used even for a bad end. I'm going to manipulate, let's see now if I can say this, manipulate you to do this because it'll build up my church and my reputation and make me look good. Paul says, no, that's not the preaching that pleases God. No, deceit won't work. Not preaching from deceit. That's the second point. Not from error, impure motives, or deceit. And thirdly, Paul goes on to talk about preaching and says, this preaching is by ministers approved by God and is indeed to please God, not men. This preaching is by ministers approved by God and is to please God, not men. So in verse 4, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. By ministers approved by God. So, we say, a minister has to be called. A minister has to be called by God. Romans 10.15 says, how shall they preach unless they are sent? Romans 10.15. How shall they preach except they be sent? Who's the sender? The Lord is the sender. So a young man comes up to his pastor, to his elders, or to someone and says, I think God has called me to preach. So what do we do? We don't say, Okay, how about next Sunday? You preach your first Sunday sermon. No, no, we don't say that. We say, okay, well, let's talk about it. And we work with the young man, or, or older man, could be an older man. And we ask him about it. We, we seek evidence. We give him opportunities. And then we say, well, you know, you need to talk to the presbytery. And then they're, wow, all these steps <laughs> that men go through in preparation with older men, more experienced men, asking them about their background and how God is working with them and evaluating their gifts and, and seeing if, if the church can say, yes, we agree, God is calling you. It's not that someone rises up somewhere and says, I believe God's called me to be a preacher, so I'm going to build a church right here. And he's on his own. He has to be approved. 
by God. And in order to know that, he needs the help of other people. And we have a structure for that by ministers approved by God. And this word, this Greek word behind the translation approved means to prove with a view to approving. God tests the man. And he uses human beings to, to bring out his gifts and abilities and, and evidence. So not just anyone uh, can do this. That's okay. That's all right. That's the way God intended it. And in verse 4, it, it is to please God and not men. God who tests our hearts. Uh, the same word that's used above in, in verse 4, approved. God tests and approves our hearts. And he looks in there to see if this man wants to please him rather than men, rather than human beings. Well, you know, all human beings don't want everything that's wrong. Some human beings are right. So, in fact, all human beings are right some of the time, right? So why is this so negative about pleasing humans? Not because they're always wrong, but because of the motive of the preacher. And if it's his desire to please people, and if the people desire the wrong thing, then there's a problem. That's where the problem comes in. Well, after all, the people pay the preacher right? So don't you want to be in their good favor? Well, sure. Sure you do. But not by compromising. Not by compromising God's truth. Not by just pleasing them. And so Paul breaks this down a little further. He goes on in verse uh, 5. For neither at any time did we use flattering words. So, not pleasing men by flattering. I know just what to say to this congregation at this time. So, flattery is saying positive things that may or not be true just for the help of the one who says them. It's a selfish thing. That's not preaching to please God. So he says, not using flattering words, nor a cloak for covetousness. So the preacher can want things and covet things and think he can get them by cloaking his covetousness before the people. No, that's not pleasing God either. And then in verse 6, Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So here's Paul, an apostle, and they know, the Christians know, that he has authority. 
Christians know that he's very close to Jesus Christ. And so he can, he can ask for things that they will be willing to give him. But he says, no, we're not doing that. And we are not seeking glory from men. We all like to be complimented. We all like for people to like us. We all like to be praised. We like attention. And that can just go way too far. So he says, no, we're not seeking that. We're seeking to please God. No flattery, no greed, no looking for compliments. Of course, it's nice when people say, thank you, Pastor, for preaching the word to us. Of course. And it's okay. But what's behind it? What am I thinking? What is the preacher thinking? What is the person thinking who's saying that? It goes back to our motives. So the gospel is to be preached by ministers approved by God and to please God, not men. Remember verse 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests the hearts. And that's not only for the preacher, is it? That's not only for him while he is preaching, but it's for him every moment that he lives. And it's not just for the preacher. It's for everyone who names the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Father, how we thank you that you are pure and holy how we thank you that you give us the truth unvarnished in your word. And we pray that we will accept that, that our preachers will preach that, that all who follow Christ will practice that. Lord, we know that you test our hearts, so look into our hearts and clean us up and help us to repent of the sin of selfishness and doing things for our own gain and favor. Teach us to live with pure motives. Clean up our hearts, we pray. Amen.